Chapter 11 of Philip Drew, Administrator, by Edward House. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by The Progressing America Project. Chapter 11 Selwyn Plots with Thor For five years Gloria and Philip worked in their separate fields, but, nevertheless, coming in frequent touch with one another. Gloria proselyting the rich by showing them their selfishness, and turning them to a larger purpose in life, and Philip leading the forces of those who had consecrated themselves to the uplifting of the unfortunate. It did not take Philip long to discern that in the last analysis it would be necessary for himself and co-workers to reach the results aimed at through politics. Masterful and arrogant wealth, created largely by government protection of its profits, not content with its domination and influence within a single party, had sought to corrupt them both, and to that end had insinuated itself into the primaries, in order that no candidates might be nominated whose views were not in accord with theirs. By the use of all the money that could be spent, by a complete and compact organization and by the most infamous sort of deception regarding his real opinions and intentions, Plutocracy had succeeded in electing its creature to the presidency. There had been formed a league, the membership of which was composed of 1,000 multimillionaires, each one contributing $10,000. This gave a fund of $10 million with which to mislead those that could be misled, and to debauch the weak and uncertain. This nefarious plan was conceived by a senator whose swollen fortune had been augmented year after year, through the tributes paid to him by the interests he represented. He had a marvelous aptitude for political manipulation and organization, and he forged a subtle chain with which to hold in subjection the natural impulses of the people. His plan was simple, but behind it was the cunning of a mind that had never known defeat. There was no man in either of the great political parties that was big enough to cope with him or to unmask his methods. Up to the advent of Senator Selwyn, the interests had not successfully concealed their hands. Sometimes the public had been mistaken as to the true character of their officials, but sooner or later the truth had developed, for in most instances, wealth was openly for or against certain men and measures. But the adroit Selwyn moved differently. His first move was to confer with John Thor, the high priest of finance, and unfold his plan to him, explaining how essential was secrecy. It was agreed between them that it should be known to the two of them only. Thor's influence throughout commercial America was absolute. His wealth, his ability and even more the sum of the capital he could control through the banks, trust companies and industrial organizations, which he dominated, made his word as potent as that of a monarch. He and Selwyn together went over the roll and selected the thousand that were to give each ten thousand dollars. Some they omitted for one reason or another, but when they had finished they had named those who could make or break within a day any man or corporation within their sphere of influence. Thor was to send for each of the thousand and compliment him by telling him that there was a matter appertaining to the general welfare of the business fraternity, which needed $20,000 that he, Thor, would put up ten, and wanted him to put up as much, that sometime in the future, 
or never, as the circumstances might require, would he make a report as to the expenditure and purpose therefore. There were but few men of business between the Atlantic and Pacific, or between Canada and Mexico, who did not consider themselves fortunate in being called to New York by Thor, and in being asked to join him in a blind pool looking to the safeguarding of wealth. Consequently, the amassing of this great corruption fund in secret was simple. If necessity had demanded it twice, the sum could have been raised. The money when collected was placed in Thor's name in different banks controlled by him, and Thor, from time to time as requested by Selwyn, placed in banks designated by him whatever sums were needed. Selwyn then transferred these amounts to the private bank of his son-in-law, who became final paymaster. The result was that the public had no chance of obtaining any knowledge of the fund or how it was spent. The plan was simple, the result effective. Selwyn had no one to interfere with him. The members of the pool had contributed blindly to Thor, and Thor preferred not to know what Selwyn was doing nor how he did it. It was a one-man power which in the hands of one possessing ability of the first class is always potent for good or evil. Not only did Selwyn plan to win the presidency, but he also planned to bring under his control both the Senate and the Supreme Court. He selected one man in each of the thirty of the states, some of them belonging to his party and some to the opposition, whom he intended to have run for the Senate. If he succeeded in getting twenty of them elected, he counted upon having a good majority in the Senate, because there were already thirty-eight senators upon whom he could rely in any serious attack upon corporate wealth. As to the Supreme Court, of the nine justices there were three that were what he termed safe and sane, and another that could be counted upon in a serious crisis. Three of them, upon whom he could not rely, were of advanced age, and it was practically certain that the next president would have that many vacancies to fill then there would be an easy working majority. His plan contemplated nothing further than this. His intention was to block all legislation adverse to the interests. He would have no new laws to fear, and of the old, the Supreme Court would properly interpret them. He did not intend that his senators should all vote alike, speak alike, or act from apparently similar motives. Where they came from states dominated by corporate wealth, he would have them frankly vote in the open, and according to their conviction. When they came from agricultural states, where the sentiment was known as progressive, they could cover their intentions in many ways. One method was by urging an amendment so radical that no honest progressive would consent to it, and then refusing to support the more moderate measure because it did not go far enough. Another was to inject some clause that was clearly unconstitutional, and then insist upon its adoption, and refusing to vote for the bill without its insertion. Selwyn had no intention of letting any one senator know that he controlled any other senator. There were to be no caucuses, no conferences of his making, or anything that looked like an organization. He was the center, and from him radiated everything appertaining to measures affecting the interests. End of chapter 11